Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Admit Me. I'm your girl, Nettie. And I'm your girl, Dee. Today, we're bringing you an episode a little off topic from college admissions, but on topic for what's currently happening in America, um, or should I say our ongoing political climate. Yes. So um, we had and still have a series focused on HBCUs planned for you this June, um, but we did feel like it was really important and necessary that we have a discussion about race in America. So today we're bringing on one of my good friends who is a lawyer in my favorite city. Um, so Sean, if you want to go on ahead and introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you do, where you're from, all the good stuff you want to share with the audience today. Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Sean. I'm actually from Miami. I'm an attorney down there. I'm currently a senior associate at a rather large firm down here, and I wanted to come in here and speak to you guys. I was asked to speak to you guys about a few different things um, that we'll be discussing today. Um, prior to being an attorney at the firm I'm at now, I had my own practice, and prior to that, I worked on Capitol Hill for two years for a Democratic member of Congress. So I have a good background in terms of the law and how the laws are created. So I think I can give some type of insight um, today with a few different things. So I look forward to hearing from you all. Yay! We're so excited to have you here. So I do want to do some check-ins. Um, I just want to see like what we're doing, how we're doing. And I know we're going to have a pretty heavy topic today. So if you want to talk about like in your, your check-in, something ignorant, that's fine too. <laughs> Who wants to start with the check-in? Nettie, you want to start us off? Um, yes. So per use, I've just been working on my mixtape oh and, <laughs> and my mixtape is really coming along well. And so really in the time of political unrest, I have felt it's really necessary that I come out with a song um, about Black Lives Matter, maybe about a microaggression, systemic racism, um, just so that there is another form of art that people can connect with where they can better understand our struggles. Sean, I'm just, I'm so upset, Sean. I'm so upset. <laughs> so we got mixtapes going on. Oh, God. Yes. But um, you you wrong for that mixtape. Uh, no, it's just going to be like Sean, a few songs on there. You know what I'm saying? I'm using my platform for good. Mm. Okay. Um, Sean, <laughs> what are you up to? Or how are you feeling these days? <laughs> uh life is life is good i can't i wouldn't like to complain too much i don't have any mixtapes coming out so i'm sorry about that i wish i did um but um currently i've just been you know working grinding and trying to deal with being a black man in america which is hard enough right now so you know things are things are doing pretty well i'm just uh trying to figure out my position in that situation that's all that's awesome yeah i think Right now is definitely a hard time being black in America, but then taking it a step further, being a black man in America. Um, you know, for me, I feel like I'm aware of these things and they're on my radar. But then when stuff like this happens that's so outlandish or so outrageous, it, it makes you realize like, oh, damn, we haven't got as far as I thought we were. Or we haven't made the strides for the younger generation that, you know, they, they still have to go through these things and we still have to experience these things. And so it's it's a weird and a hectic time um, amongst, you know, the pandemic and, you know, recent grads and them trying to find their place already in a crazy economy. So it's just a lot going on right now. So I'm trying to find ways. I'm always trying to find ways to like detach and um, handle my stress um, with everything that's going on in life. One big positive I think that's going to come out of all of this is that the um, a lot of the racism that we see in America and a lot of the um, the microaggressions that's happening right now I think is going to be out in the open. It's not going to be hidden as much, and I think that's the one of the few things that um, you could say a positive from the whole situation, from this most current situation all the way to the electing of the most recent president. I think that a lot of the undercover you know racism has been on the forefront now. And I think that's one thing that is going to, it's the one thing that has changed because of it. Yeah, that, I I agree. I think it'll, I don't know. I always like get frustrated when people are like, oh, like we live in a post-racial society because of like we voted Barack Obama. And I'm like, but do we? Because right after that, y'all voted in Trump who was openly a bigot, right? And so, um, and so then all these people who have felt the way that they felt and have kind of been in hiding for years have now felt comfortable to come out. 
and to to state their hate against black and brown people and so it's been really infuriating infuriating and then when you live in like we live in california well we don't all live in california but <laughs> me and d live in california and you live in florida and so i think your experience is a little bit different and how you see police brutality um you know, on the everyday and experience those microaggressions could be very different state to state. And so I think sometimes I always say like, oh, the California privilege is like we kind of live in this bubble and our cops are by no means perfect at all, right? There's a huge history of racism in LAPD that a lot of people don't know of, um, but I don't think it's always as blatant as it is in some in some other states and cities because of how deep their racism and their roots run. Well, also, you know, Sean mentioned microaggression, which mm-hmm. just so happens to be our term of the day. So, Sean, would you like to tell our listeners what that term means? Sure. Uh, I would say a dictionary definition would be uh, microaggression has been defined as a brief and common daily verbal behavior and environmental communication, whether intentional or unintentional, that transmit hostile, derogatory or negative messages to a target person because they belong to a stigmatized group. You want to break that down a little bit or like talk about your experiences with microaggressions? I did like a post recently on um, social media that talked about some of them. So microaggressions to me um, is a situation in which you can use what's sometimes referred to as a dog whistle. It's a word that you can be used to, it doesn't seem racist on its face, but it has a racial undertones to it. For example, sometimes people say, um, illegals, um, as it refers to sometimes undocumented students, um, or sometimes it's something as simple as using a sect of people and assuming something about them based on their racial categories. For example, thinking that Black people won't be able to learn something as fast because of the color of their skin or something of that manner. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that you use the term like a dog whistle. Because <laughs> um, it kind of gets your attention and like sometimes you don't always know how to feel about it. And so, like, I was talking, or not talking, but, like, I made a social media post the other day um, just about different microaggressions that you experience every day that people don't realize that they're doing, right? And sometimes, like, the intention behind a microaggression isn't always malice, right? It's something that's been so normalized in our culture that we do it. So, like, the, oh, you speak so eloquently as if Black people, like, what does that mean? I speak the King's English, like, Black people can speak well. Um, just because of the color of my skin doesn't mean I can't speak like this. Or, like, the, um, this is really big, kind of, like, how... Um, black and black students and students of color are disciplined as opposed to their white counterparts. And so like, I remember being in junior high school, getting sent to the principal's office because my skirt was too short when literally I had white counterparts who had skirts just as short, if not shorter, but because maybe their bodies weren't as voluptuous, it didn't seem as inappropriate. Um, And so instead of holding everybody to the same standard, they only held me to a standard. And I was like tall and linky anyway. So I didn't really, I would never describe myself as voluptuous. So like, it, like, it was just interesting to see how they would do different things. Like I was told on like, there was a recommended reading list that we got by the teacher. And then the teacher, when I chose one of the books, which was Their Eyes Were Watching God, which is a, which was, I think, the only Black author on the list, the teacher approaches me and was like, oh, are you sure you want to read that? That's a really hard book, as if I couldn't comprehend the language in it. And it was just, and you don't, like, I didn't know how to feel about it because I was so young. And you're like, this feels wrong, but I don't know why it's wrong. And sometimes it takes you years to kind of go back and realize, like, oh, like, that was a racist comment. And, like, it was an inappropriate comment. So I don't know, do you have you experienced any microaggressions? The only thing that I can think of recently, so I was at the store this past weekend and I was waiting in line. So social distancing per use, cause that's our new normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and this lady in front of me, she comes over to me, like literally standing shoulder to shoulder. And I'm kind of looking like you, you're my personal space, ma'am. <laughs> and she's like, so, what do you think about um, everything that's going on right now? What? And and so she was a white lady, and so I'm I'm like, and so I was like, how do I play this where I don't have to address her question? Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, well, what do you mean, ma'am? And she was like, you know, the demonstrations. And so I'm like, and so I just answered truthfully. I said, you know, it's a lot to take in right now. Um, 
and yeah, you know, but like part of me was just like, you have someone in front of you, you have a man behind me, but you chose to come to me and ask about my feelings towards everything that's happening right now, because I was a part of this group that, you know, maybe was targeted or was looting or whatever reason made you feel comfortable. You know, it's almost like, like Monty always taught me, we don't talk about politics openly, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just like, or, or like religion and stuff like that. So you coming up basically asking, are you a Christian? You know, like, right. like why, why is this information relevant to you and how do you plan to use this information? And, you know, part of me was like, I should have acted a whole ass <laughs> and just was like, I should have said, you know, I believe in the looting and I want to uh, light this uh, place up right now. Like this motherfucker <laughs> right now. <laughs> but I was like, let me not, you know, because again, I don't, I, I guess my, my takeaway from that is just what did she expect me to say, mm -hmm. you know? And, and, and has she come up to me and said, you know, because um, I live in a predominantly uh, white area. So right now, I ain't gonna lie, they've been hella nice, but I don't know if they're just being nice because of everything that's going on right now, mm. or if they legit are being nice. That's real. They don't want you. They don't want you to run up in their crib. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm tempted. I'm tempted, but I feel like that's like, but that speaks such volumes to right? Like this lady, I don't know why you think that you could walk up to someone who you don't know and target them because they're black and then ask them about an issue that you creating and like you are clearly <laughs> continuing to perpetuate my oppression by coming up to me and asking me to speak for like all black people right like it i don't know i just think that's like so wild that she did that and then two for you to almost be like i should have acted a whole fool but like there's always this duality like being black in a white america is that you can't do what's on your first the forefront of your mind because i don't want to be seen as like the unhinged black person or i don't want to seen as an angry black woman or i don't want them to call the cops on me because they feel like i'm being aggressive and all of a sudden their life is threatened because i'm black and then they call the cops and then we're having a whole police brutality situation or i could lose my life because of it right like these fears are very real and it's stuff that plagues the mind of black people every single day. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's true. I mean, speaking of that duality though, am I the am I the only person who has an issue when they offer you chicken or fish like on an airplane? <laughs> like, 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 you say you should be like, actually I want watermelon. Right, right. So where is it? <laughs> where is it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So but no, the duality always exists. And I think it exists even when um in our professions especially in the legal profession a little bit because there's not that many black attorneys um mm -hmm. and i didn't introduce myself as that i'm also black i don't know and if she can't figure that out because this isn't on video <laughs> which means i got my haircut which means i got my haircut for nothing Maddie. no okay. no don't blame that first of all don't blame that on me i told him when i first booked it it's not on video and two he get his haircut like every three days so <laughs> don't say you got your haircut for me Anyways, but I appreciate so, but... the haircut. Can you send me a picture later? <laughs> we'll post it. We'll post it for fans. Uh, the, 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 the lifting lawyer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Hit me up at the lifting lawyer. <laughs> All right. And Nettie, I got you. Appreciate so, um, um, But no, the duality exists, I think, in all of our professions as well. And besides being a professional, you always have to have that. And I'm black. So there is a, you want to have the, the acceptance of your community. You also want to hold the blackness on your shoulders. And you also want to make sure that you're not letting the whole race down. I feel like it's one of those issues that we have because it's not a situation in which you, I feel like everyone doesn't have that burden. So for example, if I don't feel like everyone looks in like, oh, I can't let the white man down. So I can't, you know, I can't do that. But I feel like when we're in our profession and walking through life, we'll say, oh, I can't act this way at a happy hour because you know, I'm black and they all they always expect that of me. And I don't feel like that always exists in other races. Right. But at least with ours, I think it's very, very important to walk that line and we do it. I know I don't know if it's right or wrong, but it's something that I think it's always done. Right. I like it's it's frustrating because it's such a double standard. Like we shouldn't have to always walk this line. And it's it's funny because this week and even like last week, <clears throat> I remember kind of like bringing it up to my um to my supervisors and my superiors at work, like, hey, we need to create this safe space 
for, you know, people to talk about their feelings around, like, Black Lives Matter, police brutality. Like, people are grieving. Like, I had a really difficult week last week. Like, and, like, I just remember, like, Monday morning, like, waking up and, like, crying, right? And then, like, having to get my act together because I had to talk to students virtually. And then, like, in between in between appointments, I was crying because I could really feel this energy and this frustration and this outrage that people, like that people in America were having, not just black people, not just people of color, but also white people, because it's infuriating. We've already been through a civil rights movement. And I like to check people like, this is a human rights movement. It's not a civil rights movement because when we keep it confined to civil rights, we keep it confined to just the US. And this is such a bigger problem that like really the UN has to get involved in it because the US is creating laws that are denying people basic human rights, right? So like, it's a whole thing. I wrote a play about it. So, you know, you guys can check that out later. <laughs> um, shameless. Shameless plug. Yeah, shameless plug. <laughs> but, um, but anyways, I, I don't know. It, it It's just interesting. So, like, when I was, you know, writing my superiors and then talking to them afterwards and then even trying to, you know, figure out a title for the event, you find yourself trying to find titles that make white people comfortable instead of just addressing what the issue is or, like, writing an email that doesn't sound too angry, even though you're like on high emotions right now. And it's about black lives, but you have to make it seem inclusive for everyone so everyone can go. And it's like, it, it's just like unfair in a sense, you know? And it's frustrating. Speaking of all lives, um, just as a side note, for anyone who has an iPhone, please ask Siri, does all lives matter? I was very happy with the response. Oh, just, Apple know. has really been coming through. I will say. You know what's random? So Terry Crews, random. So mm-hmm. I actually saw that today. He had he has a few posts up about how we should stop making this a you know a black issue and it's more of an all people issue. And if we are only looking at the black problem, we're trying to create a black uh, superiority instead of rather than a um, equality. So I felt like I didn't know before, but I felt like he's definitely in line with that. Um, trying to uh, please the masses. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and and I think that's where, and like that's where it's problematic. That's where people can be like, all lives matter, and they say that to Black Lives Matter, and it's like, no, we know that all lives matter. Clearly, they all matter, but like the black ones seem to not matter right now. So we need to make it a point that black lives matter. And if we have to still explain that to you in 2020 in the age of fucking information, where you have Siri and you can literally click a button and get the information then it means that you don't want to get that. And we're not trying to make Black people superior. We are trying to make ourselves equal to have the same basic rights that white people are afforded every single day in this country. So, like, I can understand. And and that's what gets frustrating sometimes because you have all these people, and usually they're not the ones writing their statement, right? You know, like the PR, you have to say this, you have to keep up with your image because you're afraid of the backlash. And so they say all these things that are so neutral, so that it doesn't piss anybody off. And sometimes, and then sometimes when it's so neutral, it doesn't piss anybody off except for black people. But then again, going in and erasing our voices by doing that, because that's why black lives matter. You know what I'm saying? Like our voices matter, our opinions matter, our experiences matter. We shouldn't have to prove to you that this is something that matters. So I don't know. I feel like it's problematic, but I can understand what he's saying. I don't know. Well, well, speaking, like, first of all, Side note, speaking about that outline, mm-hmm. Betty told me I cannot cuss. I got to be professional. We're going to both cuss on this podcast. See so how the hell I know. I'm sorry. my top button. And I mean, it's about to get real in here. That's all I'm saying. I, all I said was damn and ass. First of all, though, my mama used to tell me those in the Bible somewhere, okay? Know. You know what? <laughs> Sean is right because those just came out of my mouth in the heat of the moment, the passion. But he is right. I did tell him that he couldn't cuss on here. So I'm sorry, Sean. You can't have. We said what two a piece, so you got two a piece. <laughs> Alright, cool, cool, cool. You can match every cuss word we say. <laughs> I can't. Right. Uh, then... I'm saving. I'm I'm saving mine for the appropriate time. I can't. You know, drop it. <laughs> no, this is where the duality comes in, Sean. Mm-hmm. You can't do what we do. <laughs> <laughs> you can't, you exactly. Can't be exactly. <laughs> no, but um. <laughs> Going back to what you were saying about the whole Terry Crews thing is I love how no matter what the topic of conversation is, because the nation is so divided, there's always an issue about this versus that. Mm-hmm. Like even in a time like this, you got people arguing, what's well, the black rights? 
um, movement. No, 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 it's all, it's an all lives matter movement. No, 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 it's a black life. And it's just like, bro, both of y'all missing the point at this right. point. <laughs> like, you know, the point is a man lost his uh-huh. life mm-hmm. and, yeah. and people are constantly losing their lives on a daily basis. You know, it just makes me think about everything else that, that happens. Like, um, some I was I saw a video on Instagram today where uh, this influencer was talking about she's she's black and she was talking about how black people need to stop um, giving praise to people speaking on this issue right now because that was another issue people arguing about well you know why aren't more people coming up why aren't more people speaking out um, you know I feel like uh, people should be saying more and and people who are quiet or are, are partaking in the problem and they're part of the problem and all this stuff and for me personally I felt like just because you come out and you use your voice don't necessarily mean you on our side. Like they right. say all the time, the devil was an angel. Mm-hmm. And, and at the end of the day, you had black, I mean, you had white people back in the day who was saying probably one thing to our face and another thing behind our backs. Hell, Queen and Slim taught us that not all black people are on black people's side. Mm-hmm. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Like it's just, so to me, it's mm-hmm. just, I, I just feel like at the end of the day, whether or not people use their platform, whether or not people use their voice, we, all we can do is as people take notes from the people who are saying something and then take notes from the people who are not and write those notes down. So when a later time comes and you really show, I won't say the word I want to say, when you show yourself your true colors, then you mm-hmm. know, you, we know where you stand or where you claim to have stood. It's kind of like when somebody says something just now, you put the receipts on Eddie. He was like, wait, wait, wait. They <laughs> told me, you know, well, we can pull our receipts at a later like, time. Don't, yeah, don't be pulling my receipts embarrassing me in front of our listeners. <laughs> you're right, you're right, you're right. Nah, I mean, but here's, here, I'm, but here's, here's one thing, and it's, I'm arguing that I just want to put this out here, but, um, <laughs> you're but a lawyer, one so. thing, <laughs> one thing I would say, and some pushback to that comment though, is, can we really judge those who aren't saying anything, even if you are black? Mm-hmm. And is it is it that black person's job do we to say something every time? Do we have to now right. again? Do we have to put our race on our back and say, okay, I have to go out there and make a statement because if I don't, I'll be seen as an Uncle Tom or I'll be seen as a something. You know, if that's if that's not their their passion or their calling, I feel like sometimes we as people just we say something because we feel like we have to say something like, Oh, if I don't say something, then they're going to think this about me. And then it becomes a, a job or a, another burden that we have to carry because some people are taking this differently. Some people are really emotionally hurt by this uh-huh. and don't know the right words to say. And then a part of their issue ends up being, what do I say? And how do I come out and say it to not be taken to be continued to be seen as still with the people, but not too aggressive, but not, you know, and, I don't know. I don't know. I don't really know the answer to it, but sometimes I feel as though we try to make sure we say the right thing all the time. And sometimes silence is okay. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I, I completely agree. That's my argument is why are okay, we forcing no. people to say things? You know, if you want to, if you choose to be quiet, if you choose to speak loudly, if you sh- choose to speak proudly, whatever it is that you want to do, that's fine. You know, like I'm not, I'm not um, mad that people aren't saying nothing. It's kind of like when people are saying, I don't believe that we should be looting right now. I don't believe, you know, people are trying to protest and here come these looters. I said, first of all, everybody grieved differently. Now, yes, Mm -hmm. there are some people who may be taking advantage of a quote unquote situation, but we're also in a pandemic. A lot of people have lost their lives. I mean, their jobs and lives. But, you know, like, so it's just like there's so many different emotions Black people, especially, Mm -hmm. now again, I'm not saying other people aren't feeling things too. They are. But there's so many different ways to grieve. You know, some people, when they lose a loved one, they start back to work the next day. Mm -hmm. You don't need no time off. You good? Right. And then some people, they need months. You know, so however people choose um, to deal with the situation is is their prerogative. And like you said, you know, we can't force people to do anything. Like, if you want to choose your silence, choose your silence. When mm-hmm. you're ready to speak, we are here for you. It's almost like having a dramatic event happen to you and you sort of just go into yourself. You retreat into your shell. So, you know, it's just, that's what I think. But, Nettie, what do you feel? I mean, I have a very problematic stance on this. And I'm just going to say, I said what I said. Do it. I say it. <laughs> I 
will not hold black people to that standard. Black people, you can choose to be silent. You could choose to speak up. Like, you know what I'm saying? Especially because like someone like slid into my DM and I really appreciate them. They're like, this is no longer your fight to fight. Like this is our fight as like, as allies to be fighting for you. Right. Like you have been fighting this fight. And I said, thank you. And so I said, I looked at my black friends, take your time kill kings and queens like that's literally how I felt but who I did peep attention to were to my white friends and not the white friends who weren't who never post right like I got friends who never post on their Instagram and like I would never even if the world was burning down I wouldn't expect for them to come back on the gram and then say something about it you know what I'm saying so those people I don't hold to that standard but to the people that were like posting every single day, always had a story, had at least one post every single day doing their lifestyle post. And those people who have been silent about it, to me, I'm like, your silence is deafening. It's disgusting. And like, because <laughs> to me, it shows me how they truly feel about Black people and Black issues. And so like, and I know that that's not, that's not always true. Because I do feel like I'm, I can't tell you what to do and what not to do on your social media. But when you are saying, I'm going to come and be on the gram and literally like my timeline has been flooded with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Tamir Rice, like bringing all of these names back up, bringing out resources, here are different foundations that you can donate to, here are different resources, here are different protests that are going on here. Like there's the one that's, um, that's been going viral about finding your lane in a movement. It's not always at the protest. It's not always donating. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it could be anywhere in between. It could be having these conversations, like just figure out what your lane is. And so like some of those, like, I, I don't know. Anyways, that's what my timeline has been flooded with, which lets me know that I follow a good group of people. But there are also a few white people on my timeline who have not posted anything. And then when they did post, they thought that we cared about whatever it was that they were cooking that day. Or, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, like it's disgusting because then to me I felt like my blackness was erased and so then like how am I supposed to feel in this friendship when I'm coming to you and you're talking telling me like oh I don't see color you're basically telling me that you don't see me and you're muting my experience and then you're also making me prove that because I'm black that I have a different experience to you than you and now I have to prove this to you instead of you being able to see all of the overwhelming evidence <laughs> that is on the internet that is here. You know what I'm saying? So like, I, and, and maybe it is problematic. Maybe it's not problematic, but like, I don't hold black people to that standard right now. <laughs> I, I, um, so I got a message recently from one of my white friends and all it said was, I have no idea what to say right now, but wow. And you know what? I actually really appreciate it because realistically speaking, I don't know what I want white people to say. Right. right now. So, so, and that, so it's, it's a weird situation because there's, I don't, I, I don't want to see you liking a picture that says all lives matter. And I don't want to see you posting something saying, oh my God, I can't believe people are looting. But there is a, there is a little part of me that appreciates the, them sitting back and listening for a change mm -hmm. and figuring out exactly what's going on with this situation. Because sometimes I feel as though, um, and I say white people in general, to me, it's just everyone who isn't black. So, but I feel like some people who, um, who just want to jump in and just look like they're down for the cause. Mm -hmm. And I just don't believe them. Right. So I think, so I think sometimes I appreciate their silence. And sometimes when people are a little bit too loud, it makes me question how authentic it is. Mm -hmm. So I don't, so I really don't know what I want. And that's part of the issue I think what's going on here is because there's so many emotions going on with that. Sometimes I don't really know what I want them to say. I don't want to see them with Kente Claus, as I've seen today. <laughs> Ooh, um, so Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Say it louder. So, so I mean, there's it's it's an issue. I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what I want. So I don't know how to how to deal how to deal with that. I don't know. D? I mean, you know, it makes me think of another sort of controversial sort of issue right now. So I have a friend who's a cop and I um, I'm on this dating site and they have like this live feature where you basically live stream and you get to talk to random other people who are online. And so I built a, a virtual friendship with a lot of people. And so we kind of all just, you know, they freak, everybody frequents my live 
And so the, uh, due to these recent events, we've been having those conversations on that platform. And, you know, we've always had like intellectual conversations, but it's getting touchy right now because people are so divided. So the other day, mm. um, one of my cop friends was hanging out in my live stream and someone else had came into the live stream as well. And so he was like, you know, like, I just can't stand cops. And, you know, it's so hard to trust them. And of course, naturally, my cop friend starts to get defensive. <clears throat> and so he's like, you know what, D, you know, I love you, but I, I can't, I'm not, I can't do this right now. He was like, I'm going to excuse myself. And now I'm, I try to play peacemaker and the mediator between different ideas when we talk about any topic. But it's very hard because people stand usually on opposite sides in any conversation that is very touchy or very emotional. Um, and so me personally, I was just, you know, talking to my cop friend on the side and I said, you know, look, I get it. This is your profession. And it sucks to be in a profession where people naturally just don't like you once they hear what you do. It's mm -hmm. almost like hearing a therapist oh, so, or somebody's a psychology major. Oh, so you about to start analyzing my mind? And you know, it's like, like, no, that's not what we're doing here. Wait a minute, was that was that was that your guy voice? Let me hear one more time. No, stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, but even when you hear people like say they're a comedian, oh, tell me a joke. You know, so there's there's a certain sort of expectation that comes with every every profession. Um, fun fact: I actually thought I wanted to be a CHP officer, which stands for California Highway Patrol. And so I'm five foot nothing, mind you, Sean. So everybody was coming up to me. Yeah, everybody was like, D, who you going to protect? <laughs> or, you know, like, and then they just like, you know, you ain't even that mean. What you, you know, all of these sort of emotions that people had about me started coming to the surface. And Munchie was like, so she was like, so what you going to do? Eat uh, donuts all day and, and, you know, chase bad guys? Like, what are you going to do? And so um, I understand the backlash that comes with being a cop. But that's also what we're feeling on the opposite side, the backlash, the expectations, the ne negative feedback that comes by being a black person in America. All you gotta do is show up black today and you automatically got a ding against you. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a weird time. Um, but I, like I was trying to explain to him, I don't like this idea of people telling us how to feel. Right. I don't like how people are trying to say what we should and shouldn't be doing. I don't like when people um, don't understand why black people are angry right now. Mm -hmm. Cause like you said, important thing to do during this time is listen, lend an ear. If you don't understand, mm -hmm. if you had a black friend and, and you see all this stuff going on and you don't understand why people are mad, ask a friend and do it appropriately. It's not like when you ask to touch our hair, but you know, just, just ask it in a way where we can give you some understanding. I had to explain this situation to someone outside of our culture recently. And I realized how ignorant people are to the things that Black people have faced for years on top of years on top of years. And when you have people who don't understand, you, you kind of, you understand why they don't understand, but you also want them to seek that understanding. So it's just, it's it's weird. I think, you know, what do you guys feel about the cops? Because there's the whole argument where all cops are bad or there's the argument, well, y'all y'all not all our friends anyway. Because like I was telling my cop friend, I said, the issue right now is Black people are hurting. When we look at our community, we see other people who look like us, we naturally want to pull them closer because it does feel like it's a race issue. It does feel like it's black versus white or, or black versus blue. And we don't know who we can trust. So naturally we're gonna trust people who look like us. And when we see cops, all of y'all look the same. Aww. And you know, we don't know what cop we gonna get that day. Just like, no, we don't know that no better than they know what kind of person they're gonna get, what kind of attitude they're gonna get. So because both parties have this animosity or tension when they approach a situation, it just, it's going to feel weird. Sean, you want to take this first? Or you want me to go and then you want to come with all your legal stuff after? <laughs> let, let me hear what you got to say, Natty. Let me hear what you, since you got a good reception right now, then, I don't know when it's going to go out. So go ahead. Wow. Right 
you see how they really just become. <laughs> he the one who me. got locked up. Right. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. Do you? <laughs> oh, do you like, next? I got it. I got he it. Act like he ain't get disconnected with his Metro PCS over there. Don't you? <laughs> By the way, no, no offense to any students out there with Metro. Metro yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, but I, I think what I was going to say is I think there has to be the, one, this recognition that there is a very um, hostile relationship between law enforcement and communities of color. And that's partially because of the history and how communities of color have been policed, right? So just because I have not had as many negative run-ins with the cops as some of my other Black counterparts have had does not mean that that experience does not exist, right? I have, I, like, I used to drive a BMW. That was my very first car. I got Flight flex. I, okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it wasn't even, it was my mom's old car. Like, in, in, listen, I, I loved, I did love that car, but listen, I couldn't afford it in college. But um, long story short, I got pulled over more times in that one car in the two years that I had it than I've ever been pulled over in the three cars that I've had since then. So, like, they and then they pull you over and then they ask you whose car is this instead of asking license and registration please you know what i'm saying and then if they see that the license and registration don't match then they should be asking you whose car is this right i have another friend and her husband is in the military and he drives a very nice car and when he gets pulled over the very first question they ask him is whose car is this before they ask him for his license and registration right so i think when we have to acknowledge that. I don't believe that every cop is a bad cop. I do believe that there are good cops. I have met cops who were great. I've met some cops who, you know what I'm saying? I had to give them a hypothetical party situation and ask them to be the hypothetical cops that came and broke it up. And they were the hypothetical cops that came and broke it up and were very calm. You know what I'm saying? Like they didn't incite any violence. They didn't, they didn't give anyone any citations. They just made sure that once they got the call that they were there to make sure that everybody could leave safely. So they were doing the job that they were hired to do. Just because I've had those experiences as a Black woman does not mean that my Black counterparts have not been put in cuffs and sat on the side of the road while they searched their car for quote-unquote probable cause. And then also recognizing that it's not just about good cop, bad cop. It's also about the cops that are silent bystanders when they see something wrong going on and aren't actively going in and saying you need to stop this and that's that's what we saw with George Floyd which was also so upsetting is that this officer has his knee on his neck and you don't the culture like there's so much culture around don't say anything let them do what they're gonna do whatever egos may have been in play whatever it was and none of them came in and said yo get your knee off his neck he can't breathe and and that was a big issue. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's very, excuse me, it's very layered. But Sean, I'm like excited to hear like what you have to say about that as well. <laughs> um, I am divided. I, I've been on a lot of, I've been on both sides of this. Mm -hmm. I'm still currently, I'm still currently on both sides of this. I also was a defense attorney. So I've dealt with police in a lot of different ways different people have, have not. Um, one thing about the police is that I feel as though to some extent, they get a bad rep, right? There's mm -hmm. always, you know, you, you always hear that, okay, there is good cops out there. I get it. Um, but when a doctor botches a surgery, you don't just say, oh, it's just, you know, there's there's all there's good doctors out there. There's just one bad doctor. No, that doctor has to be, you know, disciplined somehow because he just killed someone. Mm -hmm. um, that That's something that I feel very strongly about in terms of the police as well. Those people need to be dealt with. Um, but at the same time, and those people, I mean police officers, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but in reference to police, I do think that I don't have a bad necessarily relationship with them um, in general now. Um, I did when I was a lot younger. So I think younger Black men have a bad relationship with them because of how people treat Black people. And I don't know if it's a microaggression that we talked about before, or just what, you, what they think Black people stand for. Like a young Black male, it's hard for a police officer to look at them and think like, oh, maybe he's a lawyer. I've never got that when I've been pulled over. Um, you know, what kind of, uh, why are you driving this car? Or what are you doing? Or where are you going? You know, and it's never a, not a lot of times it's a really good experience, but I think that I don't like to 
give cops a bad rap too much because I really think that I would love to see more black men become police officers. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's not a, it's not a very popular stance, but in reality, I don't have a lot of confidence in changing the views of um, other people. And let's say non-black people, I can't change how individuals think and how they, how they see people. But what I can do is I can infiltrate the system with our own people to have more of our own people policing our own communities. Mm-hmm. And, among doing so, and among doing so, I feel like we will have a lower rate of, oh, I was afraid. You were afraid because you've never been in this city, sir. You don't, right. you don't know this town. You don't know these people. Mm-hmm. You don't know that's just, that's just Tuki. He ain't gonna do nothing to you. Right, you know? right. Just, right. Just, like, 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 I, love, no. I, love, I love the one post that I saw on IG that just said, nobody told your scary ass to be a cop. Like, I love that. You know what I mean? Like, like, and I appreciate That's my one. That's one out of two. Uh, so, so, I love that. I love that post. And I think that that is something that, you know, really should be looked into. Mm-hmm. Um, side, side note again, um, you know, Metro PCS isn't that bad. I used to have Metro PCS when I was a youngin'. <laughs> so, um, I will actually say, um, I will put $30 to anybody who has Metro PCS's plan for one person um, to listen to the podcast. So, wow. I'll put 30 on it. You can get... A two gigabyte high speed data. I just looked it up for thirty dollars. So <laughs> I can um I'll send that to Cash App. She can send it to whoever whoever she wants to do in terms of any type of situation. But I would definitely put that on somebody's Metro PCS because when I was in a struggle, I had Metro PCS. So thirty dollars on that. That's all. Yeah. Thank you for checking me on my privilege <laughs> and my problematic statements. But that's also dope as fuck. So y'all take him. Excuse my. Oh my god. <laughs> take him up on this offer. Okay. He got the thirty dollars. So for anybody who comes and says I have Metro Whoa, PCS, not anybody. Oh. That might be like a hundred people. Okay, for one person. Uh, one person who has Metro PCS. The first person. You might have. The first person <laughs> who responds and says I have Metro PCS, Sean will send you thirty dollars. Um, I did. Hold on, I did have something to say in response, but I forgot it. So, but I do want to ask a question. So, like, this is one of the questions that we had. Um, we talked a lot about like police brutality, George Floyd, and I think the one question, the one burning question that I have, especially with Breonna Taylor, and there is this whole thing that Black women's narratives are not being told when it comes to police brutality. We've got Sandra Bland; she committed quote unquote suicide. We all know that that didn't happen, but there was no investigation that went in on it. And then with Breonna. Taylor, I and I don't know if it's a sticky situation. And so, Sean, maybe this is where you can give me a little more light into the situation. Um, because hers is all chucked up to a quote unquote clerical error, right? They came in with a no knock warrant. Um, her boyfriend, as he should have, was protecting his home and she got shot eight times. And they and they fired more bullets. I think they shot like fired like 15 bullets or something like that, and they shot and killed her. And so um, how do we go about getting her murderers prosecuted? Can we go about getting her murderers prosecuted? Like, what do the laws and the policies look like around that? Okay, so I'm glad you asked this, and I'm just going to be straight up with you, right? Mm-hmm. The the officers in that situation are not going to be prosecuted. Okay, and let me tell you, wh- and let me tell you why. So the no knock warrant sucks, and it should be eliminated. Mm-hmm. But what happens is. Individuals are just being able to barge into your home unannounced. Usually when someone just comes in your house unannounced, you can take out your gun and you can shoot them. That's mm-hmm. fine, you know? And But the problem is they were police officers. Now, looking at it from the police officer's perspective, they're able to currently use no-knock warrants. So they have a no-knock warrant. They don't announce themselves and they bang through the door. They come in and they're, they're greeted with gunshots. Mm-hmm. So they are allowed to respond with gunshots. Mm-hmm. So it's a really sticky situation on terms of how we go about that. I think the only real thing to do is to eliminate the no-knock warrant. Right. Because then someone knows, hey, it's a police officer. I probably shouldn't shoot them. But with currently the way we stand in which we have no-knock warrants, the problem is when someone gets greeted with gunshots, the police, you can't, it's going to be hard for a jury or a judge or anyone to tell an officer, when someone's firing at you, you're not allowed to fire back. Mm-hmm. That is not going to really go over well. Now, will that fa- should that family be compensated? 100% yes. Right. Should the laws be changed? 100% yes. And I think you have um, Crump on that, which is a really good attorney. He'll, he'll, he'll do really well with that. Um, but it's, it's a situation where those laws need to be changed, but to prosecute that officer is going to be hard because if that 
I would put you in the shoes of the officer in mm-hmm. which you are allowed to use this method to enter a home, a no-knock warrant. Right. You don't have to announce yourself. You don't have to do anything but open the door. Mm-hmm. And it, and then once you open that door, you were getting fired up with gunshots. What, what do you want them to say? Okay, no, stop. We're the police. Right. Technically, maybe they should have to do that, but they don't currently. So they mm-hmm. fire back. And when they fire back and they shot her, and sadly, she, she was obviously murdered. Now, it's a horrible death, and that should never happen. And this whole situation could have been avoided, especially because of that quote-unquote clerical error mm-hmm. that I think you talked about, because those individuals they were looking for were already in custody. Right. That is ridiculous. Right. That's right. Really, that's irresponsible. That's, that's bad policing. That's bad administrativeness. It's, it's, it's horrible. It should never have happened. So what I would say with that is that's going to be a financial lawsuit, um, however, I don't believe it's going to be more of a, a criminal lawsuit. So when someone says you should press charges against the police, you have to think about the law as two different tracks, mm-hmm. a criminal track and a civil track. So a criminal track is getting an officer to go to jail. That is the, that is the answer. That way, that's what happens when they're on the criminal road. That's what's starting to happen with, you know, the murderers of, of Floyd. But the other track is the financial track, which, you know, money is never going to bring anyone back. But at the same time, um, a family is able to be financially compensated for something that, um, for such a, it's a bad situation such as this one. So that's my thoughts on it. You know, because it's 2020. So this can't be the first time a clerical error happened. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the sad part, too. It's like, y'all, but even in so many institutions or systems, the processes are outdated. So it it just, it really does suck to see something go this far um, or to this extent. And, you know, now a life was taken and now we can, we can make better because of it. That's the one thing I feel like we're not very um, proactive about. It's like everything has to happen for us to get to a point where we're like, well, that's not right. Let's change that. Mm -hmm. I agree. I totally agree. I will say, Sorry, this is the point that I wanted to make earlier, but I forgot it. So I'm sorry that it's kind of off topic. But I do want to say that I agree with you, Sean, in saying that um, they should be, like, police officers should be policing communities that they're from or at least familiar with. Um, Because when you get into a community and you don't know these people, um, you're afraid of Tookie or Lil Ray Ray on the corner and realizing like, okay, you know, they're just having a, like a psych break or, you know, (laughs) he's just high today. You know what I'm saying? Like they're Mm -hmm. not really a threat to society. He's going to get high. He may be going to cuss and say some inappropriate things, but he's not going to get physically aggressive with people. And so, and then recognizing that like, okay, we should bring in some mental health services. And then like, there was there's a whole post on Instagram or an account called Karen's Gone Wild. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and I actually ended up having to unfollow it because it was just, it was too much. But there was this one post where um, there was this girl and it come to find out one of my coworkers actually knew this girl. And so she it was in Fort Lauderdale. They um, they didn't let her on the plane. And then she's like screaming at the at the JetBlue employees like, oh, my gosh, I have a gun. I'm racist against white people and I'm white and I'm going to shoot you. Like just like all this stuff. Right. So clearly I could tell right away that she was having a mental break. Right. So when she gets detained, the sheriffs come and they take her instantly to um, uh, like a mental health hospital. Um to kind of like help calm her down. And even the officers kind of did what they were supposed to do to help calm her down and de-escalate the situation. And so I think instantly, which I don't know if this happens with you all when you see stuff like this, instantly in my mind, I was like, a black man would never be afforded that situation. And and it gets so frustrated that that's like the first thing that I think about instead of like, oh my gosh, look at how humane these cops are, that they are de-escalating the situation so that they can get this woman the help that they need, but then also recognizing that this is a double-edged sword and that if it was a black man with police officers who were unfamiliar with this community unfamiliar with this person that they wouldn't come in and do those things not saying it doesn't happen but it happens at a much smaller scale i do think that it happens at a much smaller scale in reference to um to black people and i feel like that's the case a lot of the time you don't have the ability you don't have the ability to just do whatever you want to and just be afforded the um the ability to just get oh we're going to send him to a mental hospital or we're going to see if everything's okay with him or is he having a mental breakdown it's more as 
I feel attacked or I feel mm-hmm. I felt that way. So that's how I acted. And I used to call that the police loophole. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in when I was a criminal defense attorney, it is very <laughs> hard to argue that an officer didn't feel, you know, threatened because now you're trying to look into the mental state of someone after a crime. Mm-hmm. And if all you have to do is say, oh, I felt threatened. So I did this it's really going to be hard to prove that they didn't feel threatened. How do you prove that someone did not feel threatened? Right. Mm-hmm. So you can have even the, even go back to the Trayvon Martin situation in which um, George Zimmerman was saying, Oh, I felt threatened. So I did this, you know, I, I stood my ground, you know, for someone who is, even if they're a child, you know, it, it's really, it's a really weird law and it's really hard to, to, to combat, I will say. Right. And that's like a good point. I'm glad that you brought that up because um, it was going to be one of the next questions that I talked talk to you about. And I think that that goes into like around the policies, because if you just say, I feel threatened, how do you prove that someone does or doesn't feel threatened? But also, how do you prove that someone is not a threat? You know what I'm saying? And I think that's where a lot of black people are fed up and they're really tired is because they feel like my skin color has already made me a threat and you've already decided that because of the color of my skin and not because of how I've acted or what I've actually done. Yeah, this was an argue that I, I had mentioned to the person I was telling y'all about who's outside of our culture. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, the on a basic fundamental level, police are supposed to protect and serve. Mm-hmm. The issue comes when you show up to a crime or a scene that you're supposed to um, resolve and you're already on w- one side versus the other. Because again, once you learn of the situation, you naturally have to take a side anyway. Mm-hmm. But when you show mm-hmm. up and you automatically believe the white counterpart versus the black counterpart, that's the problematic part about these issues. Um, Trevor or uh, Trevor Noah from the Daily News actually was talking about this in regards to the woman at Central Park mm-hmm. who um, was walking her dog. And he was saying, you know, this is an interesting concept because Black people have been saying for so long that um, cops and white people don't treat us the same. Yet here was a white woman who knew how to use her whiteness against this man's Blackness. Mm-hmm. She told him, I'm going to call the police and tell them that a Black man is threatening my life because she knew how the police perceived her and also how the police perceived black people. And so to me, it was just like, I was like, oh my God, I love the way he phrased it. He put it more eloquently than I did, but it was just so true. Cause it was like, I, for all these years, it feels like we've been um, the, the people who cried wolf. Mm-hmm. And now it's finally coming out and everybody's finally seeing it. It's like, we, we were saying this all along. No, right. <laughs> like, right. We had to catch Amy listening? Cooper on the tape. <laughs> Okay, like you know, it's almost like seeing the the um the cutout footage of a movie where you're like, oh wow, they did. You know, it's like the backstage footage. Like we've been saying this for centuries, for years. Why do you think we still have the same problems going on that we had years ago? Because these issues are still prevalent. So I do want to say because we're gonna have to like wrap it up pretty soon. But um, I do kind of want to ask like Sean, just like from your legal perspective, just talking about like, other than the, like, I feel threatened, what other policies do you feel like are in place that really protect law enforcement and make it really difficult for, um, for the people to get justice and for law, um, law enforcement professionals to be prosecuted for the crimes that they commit? Okay. So it's a good question. I think one of the main things that people need to realize is that the police know the laws a lot better than most of us, mm-hmm. even some attorneys. Mm-hmm. And what happens when, I think you need to look into what actually happens when these crimes are committed, right? Mm-hmm. So once a, once a crime is committed or when someone is accused of a crime, they immediately go, they have a very, very, very strong lobby and they have a very, very strong um, legal team as well. And what happens is they immediately lawyer up, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and who gives them statements to make. And these statements are usually ones that very much, um, or in accordance with the law. And that's the exact opposite of what you see, I'll say, our people doing, right? So mm-hmm. we believe that, you know, you should just tell the truth and you should just let people know what really happened and people and the legal system will work itself out. That's not the case. They have mm-hmm. they have stock statements that they're going to be making that mm-hmm. um that are going to get them off for a lot of charges. For example, they'll use, like I said, the oh, I felt threatened, 
or I was just I was just doing this in accordance with the policies. Or they'll say something to the extent of, oh, um, when I when I tried to detain this person, they, um, they were resisting arrest. That's why in a lot of these videos, which you'll see, is they're trying to create a voice recording of something that they've said. Oh, mm-hmm. stop resisting, stop resisting. The man is laying there not doing anything. But what they want to say is, oh, he's resisting. Oh, he wasn't resisting? I thought he was resisting, which is why I acted in this manner. And all and because you can't prove a mental impression on someone is mm-hmm. why they're doing this. It's hard to prove what you actually thought. So the what I think one way to change this is to change some of the laws to say, um, for example, a reasonable belief that you were under um, you were under duress, or a reasonable belief that you were that you were you feared for your life. You know, just to say someone mm-hmm. feared for their life, if it's not reasonable, I think it's a little ridiculous because it's going to be almost impossible to prove. So, for example, when someone's laying down, you're saying, you know, stop resisting, stop resisting. What has been taught to them is when you want to take someone down, when you want to do this, if they are resisting arrest, you can do these things. And what I, what I believe truly is what they're also taught is to say, stop resisting, even if they're not, because what it does is it creates at least a recording of them telling someone to stop resisting or to stop doing that. So if it's later challenged that you had, um, is you were a little, you had police brutality or you were overly aggressive towards that person. It was like, no, I had to be that way. And I'm allowed to be that way if a b and c and they've checked off their boxes they're lawyering up they're doing things that way in which we aren't as a people doing and that's why i always tell people whenever you get arrested immediately act for a lawyer mm-hmm. because what's happening is we're grown we're taught to just listen if you do the right thing every the, the program will i'm sorry the the law will take care of you you know it'll play itself out and it really does not it's not mm-hmm. meant for us to to do it that way. If you don't go ahead and you don't get lawyers, bad things usually happen. So that'll be my lawyer shameless plug to just lawyer up. <laughs> and, even if you, and even if you don't have a lawyer, say you have a lawyer because then anything you say after that can't actually be used against you. It's not legal advice, would... but it's free game. Thank you. Thank you for putting our listeners yeah. on game. Mm-hmm. I have a question. So I know you are um, um, a lawyer in Miami, but in terms of the digital age or information age where you know people have access to tons of resources and things like that what are some or do you know of any resources that young black people um, or just anybody who wants to find out maybe some um, websites or maybe podcasts or something where they can find resources to help them make better decisions when they have an encounter with the law or law enforcement? Um, I know Colin Kaepernick has the big Know Your Rights campaign, which I think is um, which I think is great. And I think the reason why it's great is that knowing your rights and knowing how to deal with um, police and deal with things like that are, are very important. I think that also just some type of, sometimes you have to, to do some type of self-exploration in terms of looking and trying to figure out what the laws are. I think looking at your like close mentors, are always a good situation. I don't want to do any just terms of plug in terms of any a lot of these camps because what happens is everyone does things a little bit differently. I know in Florida we have obviously the alphas. I'm an alpha. We do a lot of um, a lot of programs in which we're able to to school the youth in terms of the go to high school, go to college, and a lot of the other programs we do. Um, a lot of the fraternities down the shore all over the country are doing that. Um, but what I would say is that it's very important to just get involved in your local community to try to figure out how to know your rights and how to go about interacting with the police and how to go about, I think that's one that's one way that our community, I feel like it's lacking, is the kind of lack of programs that kind of speak on these things. I always thought it was a good situation when we were able to go to schools and go to situations like that in which we're able to tell people, you have the right to remain silent. You don't have to let the police search your home. You don't know how many cases that I've run into in which you would have been free if you did things the right way. And it happens all the time. You let the police in your house. You let the police in your car. You let the, you know, and not to say that you should be doing illegal things because you shouldn't. But mm-hmm. if something happens, um, there is a lot of ways that it's a really high burden of proof for you to go, to for to you to get arrested or for you to, sorry, for you to be convicted. And I feel like that's also something we should touch on for a quick second is that Sometimes, even if these police officers are charged, it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean as much as we think it does. Um, mm-hmm. And 
there's a there's really not a there's really a long way to go from here because and to prove something beyond a reasonable doubt is a really really high standard and i think that we should really look into that because beyond a reasonable doubt is is really hard to do and a lot of people don't actually get to the jury stage but if you do it's really going to be hard to prove that one thing that i want one name that i want to point out there that hasn't been said recently and i promise you in probably about a few months it's going to be said muhammad noor right muhammad noor was a minneapolis police officer um the only one who's ever been sentenced to prison uh for for killing a civilian in minneapolis i believe there's only been two that have been charged before these four got charged and guess what race he was he wasn't white um and that, in that situation i believe he was in a car and someone um a white woman actually he responded to an incident and a white woman ran up to the car and she like banged on the hood of it and he said he got he got scared he thought it was someone trying to ambush him he pulled out his gun and he fired and he shot her and he killed her and it was sad um and then she died and he actually was sentenced to 12 and a half years right in prison oh. for that now he's actually appealing that but what that is to say is there's been numerous shootings between now between the minneapolis history um but he's the only one that's ever going to jail for it it's really going to be hard to put it's really hard to put a police officer in jail and i don't think these riots are going to stop um i think as soon as we realize that when this person if this person does not get actually convicted it's going to be a situation i don't think i have much to say to that i i think i it just shows how there is this disproportionate um, justice that happens in America. And especially when you come to like white men, because they're really at the top of the, the totem pole. I don't remember the officer. I can't even remember both of their names. There are so many, but the officer who shot and killed um, the lawyer in his home, I think it was in Texas. Um, you know what I'm talking about? I don't No. Okay. There's, it just, ha- it didn't just happen, but it happened like maybe like two or three years ago. And there was an officer who was coming back to her apartment complex, um, came into the wrong apartment and then um, shot and killed a man because she thought that he was burglarizing her place, that he was a burglar, but he was in his own, yeah, he was in his own apartment. And so she was convicted. I do feel like she got a pretty light sentence, but anyways, and so to me, I always tell people, I'm like, America is very sexist as well. Like we have to remember that. And so I felt like they're, if they were going to make an example out of anybody, they were going to make an example out of a white woman before they would make an example out of a white man, you know? And so like looking at that. And so it's, it's really sad to see the situation where there's this white woman who like, who banged on his car hood. And of course, like I'd get scared as well. And then he shot and killed her. Um, and that's terrible, but now he's serving 12 years. Meanwhile, there are cops who are using unnecessary force and getting away with it. So I, my last question before we have to go, because we are over time, um, <clears throat> I do kind of want to get your thoughts, if you have any yet, on defunding the police. Um, and what it, ideally, if you got to be in charge of defunding the police, what would that look like? <laughs> oh, man, Eddie, you are... <laughs> That is not a question to ask me with two minutes to go. Um, I know. Right. <laughs> you can you can take up some extra time. <laughs> um, okay, I'm gonna blow this whole question up. All right, so honestly, defunding the police is an interesting concept, right? And mm-hmm. what does it really mean? So I think the problem with it is the wording of it. So if mm-hmm. you mean defunding the police in a literal term, as in stop giving money to police departments, which would basically mean dismantling a police department, which would basically then go to city policing. I feel like that is legitimately a horrible idea. Um, I, I, I don't understand it, and I don't really understand the concept of it, because what ends up happening is a, it's circular, right? So because what happens is, all right, so let's say the police are all gone. We defund them. The police are now, poof, gone, right? So now what happens when someone breaks into someone's house? We have city policing. So now we call our city police and the city police come. What makes us think that that is different than calling the police officers? You see what I'm saying? Like, it's mm-hmm. a, the question to me becomes the police are just people, right? Like, so mm-hmm. if the police are people, then we defund the police department. So we defund the organization that's supposed to protect us. Then we're just having random people come to protect us and we're funding them. It's a weird situation. Now, if if we're now arguing that you know, defunding the police um, really doesn't mean completely give it away, but restructuring, I'm, I'm all for it. And I think that 
there is um, a lot of programs and incentives in cities that could really benefit from a lot of money that go to the officers. And I think mm -hmm. that perhaps some of this riot gear that they're paying for, I was looking at a um, post before in which the riot gear <laughs> like, would, um, would pay for so many um, PPEs, which is like the personal protective equipment for individuals in hospitals. We're wearing trash bags. However, the cities are able to have full riot gear for, for nonviolent protesters. It just, the mm -hmm. allocation of resources doesn't seem correct. And there needs to be some movement around. I don't know exactly what the numbers is, but I don't, but I think that there is an enormous amount spent on police and police and militarizations of communities when it can be spent in many other ways, including um, helping schools have books. Like there's been, there's schools around the countries where I went to a, I didn't go to it to be honest, other than the suburbs, but the city beside <laughs> me, <laughs> the city beside me had, um, their hospital didn't have books, literally didn't have like school books, like, but the police office mm -hmm. was also well-funded. So I think that there needs to be allocation in cities resources to not only the police, but a lot of other places. And maybe you can pull back a little bit from the, from the police in order to give it to individuals who can then come and say, okay, we're going to have the, we're going to, we're going to fund some city initiatives and where people are able to, you know, police the cities and we're, you know, the actual people that live in the cities will be able to, you know, we'll fund them to walk around and make sure that things are going well, or we're going to build lights on the street corners that we feel like are high traffic areas for drugs. We're going to make them super bright because who wants to sell drugs under a street light, right? So uh -huh. like, you know, not, not that I sold drugs under street lights, I'm just saying like, uh -huh. legitimately so, but, but right. um, Listen, I won't but, tell if you don't. <laughs> I ain't heard nothing. <laughs> I'm just saying, but those things like that, I think would really, really help. So I think taking the money and putting it in other places is my idea of defunding. But it's not literally, I, I don't, the wording and phrasing is the one thing that throws me off about that. So that's my slight uh, thoughts on it. I appreciate that. Dee, do you want to share your thoughts before we get out of here? Nope. I think he touched <laughs> on some good points. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sean, for coming on today and for just dropping some incredible knowledge bombs um, on our listeners. This will not be his first and last time on, I promise you. I mean, I just really enjoy him. I know him on a personal level, so I get to talk to Sean all the time. Um, but <laughs> but it was nice to have you on here to drop those knowledge bombs um, to these students. And I know you've already dropped your Instagram. So if you want to drop it again, please do. Um, and also know that you can always send us questions if you have any. And we can always forward those to Sean. Um, so you want to go ahead and My drop your, your IG or sure, your email, whatever? <laughs> <laughs> My name is Sean. Uh, my IG is at the lifting lawyer uh spell finesse, spelled the right way and um yeah don't don't forget uh the first person uh let me know they got metro pcs um or let netty know because i want to flood netty's uh email or whatever that they got metro pcs i will drop 30 on somebody's uh cell phone bill because i know it's hard out here for people you know what i mean so mm -hmm. um thanks for having me come on you guys and i would love to come on another time Okay, so with that being Thank said, you. Dee, you want to do our outro? Yes. So <laughs> be sure to like, follow, and subscribe to our Minute on all social medias, aka social media platforms. And you can email us with any questions, suggestions, or fan mail to our email address, which is admitnit at gmail.com, spelled A-D-M-I-T-N-I-T -I -I at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in to another lecture of Minute at the University of Nettie and Dee. Apply your knowledge.